Thank you for visiting Open Life today. We're glad that you took time out of your busy week to join in with our service. If you're listening online or through the Open Life Church app, I need to point out two things for your benefit. The first is that we have our notes conveniently placed for you to follow along with the passages and points mentioned in the talk. The second thing I would like to point out is our connection card. If you fill this out while you are listening, it not only lets us know you visited us today, but also allows you to communicate any prayer requests you may have. We will be sure to take time to pray for them during the course of the week. If you are listening on iTunes, you can always visit us online or download the Open Life Church app to get in contact with us. Wherever or however you are with us today, we are glad that you are here. Now let's join today's talk. The second to last series that we're jumping into today, uh, and then we're going to wrap up Luke. We've been in Luke since January of 2014, uh, but that's okay. If you're just coming into it now, every message stands on its own. So, uh, But this series is interesting because now Jesus is full on. He's come to Jerusalem. As Jamie read last week, you know, he was on a donkey and they were worshiping, chanting Hosanna and and laying their their branches and their cloaks down and honoring him. They thought the coming king, they were thinking he was going to be a material, like literal king, not just a spiritual king. And, And so here's this moment where those in power are feeling incredibly threatened. Those in religious power are feeling really threatened. Uh, Luke 19, 47 through 48 said it, and I'll just remind you of what it said. It said, every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Now that's a tough crowd, right? That is a tough audience. It says in verse 48, yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. So since there were people still present following Jesus, listening to his message, surrendering to it as the truth, the word of God, they couldn't put him to death because he still had enough followers that there would be like an issue. It's important when opposition comes that those who follow Jesus don't just like scatter. And you can see the impact of that right here. And so we're going to jump in. That's the setup here to jump into our text in Luke 20. And I'm going to take it in segments today. So Luke 20, 1 through 8 says this. One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts, proclaiming the good news, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. So again, right? These are the people trying to kill him. So it says, verse 2, Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? He replied, I'll also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it amongst themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask Why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, we don't know where it was from. And Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. Hmm. Right? You kind of listen to that and go, 
did Jesus just dodge the question? Don't you kind of think that now? Because we watch politicians, they're really good at this, right? Uh, or anybody answering questions on TV, they're, they're deferring, you know, not really answering. That was awesome. That was five minutes. Did they ever answer the question? You know, you kind of get that evaluation going in your head. And, and, and I wanted to kind of set the scene for us so we can grasp what's happening. Imagine you're training people. You're trying to teach them the ways of life, right? That's what Jesus is doing. He's got a bunch of disciples following him, enough that the leaders couldn't just take out Jesus right there. And so they're, they're, they're figuring out what do we do here, right? And, uh, and, and so you've got this scenario, you've got this, this scene where these teachers and rulers of the law and, and leaders of the area are asked a question and they confer. So picture Family Feud. Okay, have you ever watched the show Family Feud? Picture Family Feud and, you know, you have the one team and they get the one buzzer and you're rooting for them. What are the top three things that the people say? You know, they're trying to guess what people would answer on a phone call. And uh, 110 people surveyed, survey says, right? And so, bah, second buzzer comes, bah, third buzzer comes, and what do they do? They give the other family a chance to steal. And so the camera always pans over to the other family, and there's the other family huddled up. Right? The image here is that the, the rulers, those that are the, I, I would call them the questioners, right? Those that are coming at Jesus for the next three weeks, we're looking at different questions they're coming at Jesus with. They're the questioners coming at Jesus, asking him these perplexing questions, trying to catch him in something where they could say, ah, blasphemy. We kill you now. You know, so they're trying to catch him. And so they're like, what questions do we ask? They ask the question. And then when it's their turn to like give the question, Jesus asks them a question back. And they're like, right? They confer again. They're huddled up. They're whispering. These are the same ones that were the murmurers that we talked about a few weeks back. They're murmuring. They're more powerful than we are, you know. But now they're like, we don't know. Right? They're just like, yeah, that was a great answer. We don't know. And so they're like, that's the moment. These guys are, are, are stuck now, right? Oh, shoot, he asked us to question back. They should have known that. Rabbis are known for asking questions back. In fact, if you Google uh, answering a question with a question, Wikipedia's first pop-up is rabbis always do that. You say, well, why are you, you know, James, why are, why are you wearing flip-flops? Well, why are you not wearing flip-flops? Oh, that's a good one. I wear an ankle brace right now, and it really feels awful with flip-flops. That's why. You know, wait, I just answered the question. He never did, right? So it's that moment. Rabbis were good at it. And Jesus is being a great rabbi, a great teacher by asking questions back. And, and that's really our first thought for today, our first discovery. We have like four solid discoveries in the text that we can grab out. But the first is the power of a question. The power of a question. In fact, Jesus asked questions so good back to these questioners that it perplexed them or astonished them, as we'll see in a second. Jesus teaches a very important lesson here. 
And that's that good teachers, if they want to equip those around them, don't just become a crutch and answer people's question. They help ask a question back so that the other person can discover the answer, empowering them to figure it out. Three things that questions do real quick if you're taking physical notes or if you're on the app, you can't really take notes, so text yourself or something. But anyway, questions bring clarity, right? Like if I'm trying to figure out what somebody's saying and I ask a question back, even if they ask me a question, I'm trying to get clarity so that I can even provide direction. Questions bring accountability in this instance, right? total accountability to these guys by just tossing back a question about John the Baptist. They were put in a scenario where they knew, oh, well, clearly, right, we're held accountable for our answer here. We're going to be stoned or something, so we're going to say we don't know. It brought accountability to them. And then the third thing, questions empower you to move from the problem to the solution. It helps uncover the solution, right? Questions are a great tool for leaders. And Jesus was trying to lead these people into a growing relationship with Jesus, not just become the answer man. So question and answers, boy, one of the best answers we can give is a, is a question. And we have to somehow get our mind released from all that we see in the media because we've become to interpret, if you ask a question back to a question, that you're dodging. Don't we? Isn't that immediately what you think? If somebody answers a question with a question, you go, oh, come on, you're dodging. No, I'm trying to bring clarity, trying to bring accountability, trying to solve the true question. Because there's a different question here. They really didn't care about John. They're trying to figure out who is this Jesus, and, and how is he going to mess up, and how can we kill him? And Jesus knew that. Jesus brings clarity to his questions and answers as well, not just with questions. He does it with stories, or in this instance, parables. He'll paint a picture instead of answering a question with words, which really offended some people, as you'll see in the next portion of Luke 20, starting in verse 9. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him, sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. You get the picture here, right? 
It doesn't take like me to describe what picture he's painting here, correct? They shamefully treated John the Baptist, the son whom I love. He himself has said, you know, that he's the son of God. By now they're well aware of his claims. So this is not a mystery to the people in the crowd. They know exactly what's happening. Verse 14, when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over and this is the heir, they said, let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants, give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. Number two, fill in there, is a power of a story. I mean, come on. Jesus just said, you're trying to kill me, but guess what my papa's going to do? And he like called him out. He's like, right? And and they're just like, he's staring right at them. You know, it's like, if I just said, someone's going to die today. You know, you're going to know. You know what I'm saying? So Jesus calls him out and says, here's the deal. I'm the son. He loves me. You're trying to kill me. You're going to succeed. I'm going to die. But so are you, like spiritually inside, and you're not going to take over the spiritual kingdom. God's still going to rule. You can't shut God down. Have you not learned that over thousands of years? You know, so he's he's drawing this story. So their initial question showed their heart of disrespect to Jesus. And within the parable, Jesus just highlights all their faults and their circular reasoning, and brings them back to truth, and it comes against them, which is interesting to me. I paused on that thought because they said they knew that Jesus spoke the parable against them, and we've got this loving, coddling image of Jesus in our mind, although Last week we did read that he like turned over tables in the temple and stuff, you know. But it's like, so he can get a little ticked every once in a while and demonstrate that physically. These guys knew that he was against them. That's kind of a strong phrase to consider the Son of God being against someone. Like he's so for everyone that he would be willing to be against those that opposed the good news of the gospel. Wow, that's strong because we don't talk about that much, right? Because that's not a happy, fluffy message all the time. And, well, Jesus loves you. Awesome, you know? And we kind of have that, that real, real happy, happy Jesus. And it's like, but right here, he's calling these guys out. And he is legitimately against them. So how do we wrap that into our image of Jesus? 
How does that wrap into the image of fair and the desire that none would perish? And you know what I'm saying? So we need to process that and, and really ask ourselves that personally. Like, how do we learn from this? I know oftentimes we'll, we'll tell our kids things like, uh, we have some good parent quotes, like, uh, that's not fair. Well, one of our parent quotes that we just drop is, fair's not in the Bible, right? It's kind of brutal, but we do say that. And uh, because it's not, like, it's, it's, everybody doesn't get the trophy. It's not, where did that even come from, right? So it's like, here's the deal. Fair is not in the Bible. The truth is, everybody has a fair choice to make, but some choose the wrong option, and they bear the consequences. It's like, the fairness is, there's at least a truth that can guide us, that's fair, but we make choices and bear the consequences of our choices. So these guys are bearing the consequences of their desire to kill Jesus. We live in a world where truth shifts. It's relevant to whomever it's relevant to. makes it incredibly hard to find the truth. So it should give us incredible deep comfort to know that there's claims like the Scripture that would say it does not change yesterday and today and forever, and we could put our faith in it, and it would be a constant compass for our life. We must not edit it, but we must let it edit us. That's what the Word of God's there for. This religious questioning group realized that they were trying to keep the status quo and Jesus was trying to lead them to the heart of God through his questions and stories. That they would realize their folly and knock it off trying to kill him. They've been following him around. But it continues. Luke 20, verse 20. So, verse 20 says this. Keeping a close watch on him, Jesus, right? They sent spies now. So now you don't just have the teachers, the rulers all these people. Now you've got spies too who pretended to be sincere. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right and that you do not show partiality but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw their duplicity and said to them. Now remember, this is Jesus who, it's been said multiple times in the book of Luke already, he knew their thoughts. He, you know, he read through them. I don't know what made these guys think they could sneak spies in, right? So you've got the family feud circle over here whispering, but now you've got this other crew that looks like a normal disciple. They might even worship loudly, they might even celebrate, and, and, and when the healing comes, they clap too and don't look disgusted like the religious crowd, even if it was on Sunday. They're spying, so they want to be like the true disciple, right? So they're chilling, reclined back. Hey, you know, tell us what to do about taxes, Jesus, right? So that's the crew. Now, they're in the middle of the disciples. Very deceiving, very confusing. But Jesus is like, didn't you know I, like, know everything, you know, Right? And he just, he saw their duplicity and said to them, verse 24, show me a denarius. 
whose image and inscription are on it. Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him in what he had said there in public. And astonished by his answer, they became silent. So now the spies and the discipleship group now are just being discipled, right? They were like, oh, that's really good, Jesus. And they just, right? So it's like interesting to me to look at what's happening here. But there's two words that really grabbed me when I was reading this that I was like, that's interesting. They were unable to trap him in what he had said there in public. Why would Luke include that detail? Why would Luke set us up to comprehend that it was just a public conversation that was being recorded here? That Jesus was careful in public with how he answered the spies. Would he answer different in private? Would he be maybe more, a little more just like open dialogue one-on-one over coffee than in a crowd? Because I, I like the fact that our world lives more and more visibly. Obviously, five years ago we named the church Open Life. Right? I mean, hello. It's like we all live in glass houses and now even more and more so, right? Through social media and different things. People just like you don't see for five years. You bump into them and they're like, man, how's that tooth feeling? Well, how'd you know I had a sore tooth? You know, oh yeah, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you know, stalker. So it's just, you do, you know, you, you follow, you catch up, you like, you comment. Right? It's, and it's just, we're in this public world, and, and, and I really enjoy the potential of living visibly, but we also need to understand the dangers of living incredibly visibly in a world that is sending spies to find a way to tear us apart. We live in that world. You could translate this right to today. We need to be very aware of this. We live in this increasingly public world, and we need to be careful how we answer people, especially in public. Well, Thad, then, you're saying you're not as genuine. I don't know why that guy's voice always talks to me, but I don't understand, Thad. Uh, So you're saying in in public you're going to answer a different way than maybe like one-on-one? And I would just go, I'd probably be a lot more filtered in public than I would be one-on-one. I'd be a lot, you know, if I know the person, I know how they're going to handle the depth of truth in which I give them. If they need me to kind of shoot at a five on a scale of one to ten on the honesty realm, or if they need me to shoot at a ten. And some personalities need a one. It needs to be all fluffy, soft, you know, and, and you kind of build to a two. You know, you know the people that, that are around you and how you can share with them or maybe correct them. It brings up point three, the power of the shrewd. Huh? Yeah, listen to this. Matthew 10, 16. I'm, Jesus said this. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. It's when he was sending his disciples out. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. 
So somewhere along the line, somebody just heard the innocent as doves and kind of locked in on that one and said, well, as Christians, we're supposed to be like doves, right? So it makes the logo for a good season. The dove was always in the church logo. Has anybody grown up in the same? Anyway, so, you know, it's like the dove had to be there, which is also representative of the Holy Spirit. But anyway, uh, uh, you just look and go, like, the dove is a big deal, this whole innocent as a dove culture. But Jesus gave them two instructions, both to be innocent as doves, but as shrewd as snakes? How, what a bold instruction when a snake, like, was in that whole scene at the fall of man, you know, it's like, that is pretty aggressive, Jesus, right? Shrewd means having or showing sharp powers of judgment. Man, I, I'm probably not the only one in the room who's watched some well-known megachurch pastor or, or, or traveling speaker go on a public television show and answer questions in a way that Christians attack because they just weren't detailed enough. Well, you dodged the question. You just weren't transparent enough. Why didn't you answer them boldly, you know? And you go, wait a second. Jesus filtered what he did in public too. Why are we going after people so hard? We need to be very shrewd when when dealing with those who are trying to catch us in our words and make us out to be hateful when we're full, full of love and servanthood towards those around us. We're opening the doors of possibility in people's lives. we got to be very careful, right? Snakes know how to, to flee when they're in danger. Saw that this week. We were at a lake, and snake was on the beach. It was some exciting moments, Right? And it kind of went into the water, that revelation to kids, snakes swim. <laughs> it's like, yeah, they do. Get ready, right? And they're like, ah, kill. You know, so that snake's like trying to get away. It was pretty interesting. So pretty shrewd little snake, right? But here's the deal. Snakes also, you've seen this, right? They curl up and get in a position of strike. And snakes, even a little tiny baby gardener snake, will like, act like it's tough, right? Curl up and like, you're like, like, dude, you cannot hurt me, right? But I'm still terrified of those things. I would never hold one. Anyway, so I did one time hold one of those big yellow ones. Why do we do? Why do we toy with death? I have no idea. So, but this, you know, shrewd as a snake. So I just started thinking of this going, Jesus was being shrewd by not answering them in public with anything other than a question. Maybe we should be just as shrewd in the world we live in that's trying to accuse us of being hateful because we follow Jesus. Our convictions should grow just like they do in the life of Jesus. And, and it was interesting, the spies were using flattery towards Jesus. They're like, we know you follow God in a way, in a way that is the truth. You know, you follow the truth. They, they tossed that out at Jesus kind of set him up for their question. But at the same time, I go, man, would people say that to me if they were trying to flatter me? Like, is that in their flattery? Would they say, you know, Tim, man, you're, I know you're a guy that follows Jesus, and live, you live according to the Scripture, so I got a question for you. Would they know that? 
What they say, Tim, I, I know that you follow the Seahawks. And, uh, you know, what number is Sherman? I was just wondering. You know, so it's like, they would totally do that, right? People do that. They know you follow the Seahawks. Aaron, I know that you follow the Seahawks. I was like, what kind of screen door works best to open and scream when they score a touchdown? I was just, is it smooth? You know, it unlocks quickly. So it's kind of those, you, know, you would ask people that, but would you be asked? Would they come and they go, John, man, I, I know we don't agree on everything, but you do know the Bible well enough. Hey, what would God say about this? I would like to be that guy in a room. And I get to be that guy in a room a lot of times. Not just because I wear the title pastor on my head. I usually don't wear that title on my head ever. I've never put it. I don't have any tats yet, you know, so I should work on that. But, you know, I just look at that and go, uh, you know, what do, we, what do we do? How do we get that kind of flattery coming our direction? We've got to live according to the truth, obviously. Does our life bear the fruit of those living by the truth? Well, that brings up the final point for the power of truth. And do I truly and fully surrender my life to Jesus and align myself to the Scripture for, for, for my life's direction, right? Or do I try to align the Scripture to my life's ways? Two very different things. Am I going to live according to the Word, or am I going to try to get the Word to agree with the way I'm living? Jesus is teaching them how to live according to the Word. So I have a friend who, uh, you know, dialogued about this a little bit on a video this last week. You know, I don't know if you've, there's like churches making statements all over. I hate that, right? You know, just like, uh, in response to the Supreme Court, I'm going to make a statement and post it on the internet. I don't know how shrewd that is. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, uh, but that's been happening all over. One of my friends, there's been some good ones. Uh, one of my friends uh, ha had a really interesting insight, and that is the reality that, you know, we, we're challenged to speak the truth in love and live according to the truth. And, and reality is if we're going to live according to the truth, we're all going to get hurt by the Scripture at some point in time because it's going to correct our junk going to come after our things, right? I love your testimonies, and I love to get to know them, and some of them we've put on video, and, and, and I know Lori's was like a few weeks in, and we put hers on video, but a few, and we're, we're recreating that video right now too for later use, but she shares like one of those messages that came was forgiveness, like it was this, you have to forgive those who've hurt you. Oh, man, that was an awesome coffee we had after that message. I just remember all the words I learned at that table. They were awesome, right? Weren't they, Lori? We had fun. We joke about it now, but here's the deal. Forgiveness was the deal, right? Wasn't that a... Yeah, okay, I'll stop talking about that, right? No. Uh, we chuckle about that now and just look how Jesus has worked in Lori's life. But we've all got our deals, right? We've all got our things, that if the scripture, if we're reading that one, we're like, man, I hope, hope Thad never has that as one of the responses on the connection card. I'll have to check it. Great, right? Um, but we need to look at this because the scripture, this is what, this is what Jeremy Johnson, my, my friend who pastors a church in Missouri says, uh, it's an equal opportunity offender because it's supposed to correct us. 
It's supposed to bring us back in a line, right? It's an equal opportunity offender, the scripture. Church needs to be a safe place, and we have every walk of life safe to come here, safe to flesh out what the Scripture's discipling us to do. It's safe to grow in a relationship with Jesus here, no matter who we are, no matter what our life is like, right? But all of us at some point in time will be offended by the text, and we're going to need to decide, what do I now do with this passage? And let the Holy Spirit work it out. We need to be a safe place We need to be a safe people wherever we go in the community and let the Scripture be that dangerous, life-altering, guiding corrector in the world around us. That's why we need to fall in love with it and guide our lives by it because it's the truth. And right now it seems like truth is whatever the majority believes or whatever opinion sways to. And, you know, I could call out issues. I'm not going to today. But I just look at... It's just how confused it is when you have honor going to this person, and this person almost does the same thing, but it's not as famous, and they get crucified. You're like, why is our culture doing this to people? Why don't we just love and serve people? Why don't we just surrender our lives to the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to guide us? Listen to John 4, 26. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, this is Jesus' teaching, will teach you all things. And will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Jesus says, hey, trust in the Holy Spirit. Begin to read the word. Reflect on what I taught. Because it will help you follow my way. We should not be afraid of people. If we're afraid of people's reaction to our living out the Word of God, we're not living out the Word of God. Because the Word of God says perfect love will cast out that fear. That said, Jesus was very careful about what he shared publicly. And we must live the same way. There's a lot of damage we can do in 140 characters of text. And... We should be careful of the videos we share, the the comments we like, and we're like, yeah, I agree with that. Maybe at a coffee table, but probably you shouldn't on the internet, because now people are going to go, you liked that? Really? Like, huh? They get confused. We should listen. We should discern. We should consider a clarifying question if necessary. And even if we're going to get accused as dodging, we need to publicly be filled with love, but live according to the truth. Don't be afraid to ask right questions. Well then, Thad, tell me. I feel like you're dodging, Thad, not saying exactly what you need to say, because open life, what, what do you think about the Supreme Court's decision a couple weeks ago, open life? Why haven't you made a statement or blogged? Well, I'm horrible at blogging, number one answer. Uh, you know, will this change the way we do ministry at Open Life? Here's the deal. Is Jesus still seeking and saving the lost? Of course. Does he desire that all will be saved? Absolutely. Nope. Still on mission. We're good to go. What's changed, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. There may be a day where your tithe no longer is tax deductible. 
doesn't mean we're not going to obey God when we tithe. Right? Should we shudder? Should we make fear blogs? No. We keep loving people and serving people. And that's where this final text will land us. Luke 19, 11 through 27. The parable of the ten minas. We skipped it a few weeks ago. Remember I said we were going to come back to it? I'm going to come back to it in like one minute. So here we go. Parable of the ten minas because it's an easy lesson. While they were listening to this in Luke 19, 11, while they're listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country and to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants, gave them 10 minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But, this subject, uh, but his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. And then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned 10 more. Verse 17 says, well done, my good servant. His master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge in 10 minas, of 10 minas. The second came and said, sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. Wow, this guy's awesome. Then another servant came and said, sir, here's your mina. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. He was like loving with it, right? It was precious. No dust on it. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You take out what you did not put in, reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man? Sounds like a Will Ferrell movie. Anyway, so moving on. Uh, Taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him. Give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. But it's not fair, Dad. Life isn't fair. The battle's not fair, kid. Right? And anyway, now you see where I get it. Verse 26, he replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here, kill them in front of me. Again, a tough lesson by Jesus with two real concluding thoughts. One, truth bears fruit unless you hide it. The guy hid the truth. The guy hid the gospel, if you would. Let's say the minas are the gospel, the truth. He hid it. He didn't live according to it. Nobody knew that that was his guiding. Nobody knew he loved the Bible. Nobody knew he loved the Scripture. We are servants that should steward the Word of God, learn it, reflect on it, and be good servants with it. That's our objective in the world we live in. That, yeah, at times is looking for a way to knock us off and erase us from the story. It's not going to happen. God said he will build his church. 
nothing will tear it down. We just got to keep loving. We got to keep serving. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Truth accomplishes what it's sent to do, but you and I have to live by it. I've gone long, so let me close. There's some action steps on the back of your connection card. I hope you filled it in. Again, make sure your email and name are on there at least so we can follow up with you and encourage you, pray for you. But the three direct questions that I would say are applications for this talk would be maybe we need to learn to ask questions better, right? Really be good at discerning how to process questions back to those who are asking questions of us. The second is we need to pray for some shrewd skills because we need to be better at when to share and when not to overshare. It's to the world we live in. We've got to have a really good filter. And most importantly, we need to follow the truth, live it out in a way that everybody's aware we honor and love the Word of God. So that's why I'm going to pray over you and into you today. God, man, I want to someday hear you say those words, well done, my faithful servant. And I know you've given us the truth. You've given us your word. And, and Jesus obviously did a great job, even though he gave his life, because he did a great job, living according to your truth. And I just pray that we could do the same in a world that often would choose another path other than yours. Really, that just makes us who live according to the truth that much of a brighter light in a dark world. So here's an opportunity for us to be even more vividly transformed by choosing to follow Jesus. I pray that that would be the decision everybody would make in this room. And if there's somebody here just still processing, that's totally okay to, to take this discovery of Jesus at their own pace. You love all of us. You desire to reveal yourself to us all at your own pace. That's the work of your Holy Spirit in us, illuminating truth. So I pray that, God, you would do that. And if somebody's here today and they're at that point where, yeah, okay, well, I love Jesus because of today. And I'm going to make a decision to follow him. If that's them, would you simply just allow them to pray, Jesus, come into my life. I want to follow you as Lord and Savior. That today could be their day of a new beginning. Maybe they're going to restart a relationship with you. May this be their day of restart, reboot. For the rest of us, God, give us the wisdom to live shrewdly in a world that might just have spies around us. Help us to have wisdom at how we could filter our conversations and, and, and make sure that people understand the good news of Jesus. May we keep the main thing the main thing, loving people and serving people, making you known. Give us your Holy Spirit and wisdom so that we could live according to the truth in a world that wants to edit it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about anything you heard during this talk or have a prayer request, you can fill out the connection card on our app or online at openlife.church. If you'd like to join the mission of Open Life with a financial gift, you can do this quickly and securely through the app by pressing the Give button at the bottom or on our website by clicking on the Giving tab. 
Open Life wouldn't exist without the consistent and generous giving of people like you. Finally, it's great that you had the chance to listen on the app, online, or through our podcast. But have you ever thought about joining us for a service? We meet every Sunday at Bonnie Lake High School at 10 a.m. This way you can put a face to the voice you've been hearing through your ears. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a great rest of your week.